Hello, dear listener, and welcome back to Friendings. My name is Sabina, and I'm here to take a look at the end of friendships, how that loss is experienced, grieved, and made sense of over time. It's not something we tend to talk about, and I'd like to change that. When I initially conceived of this project, I had one particular friendship rupture in mind that I wanted to unpack with you. I call it the big one. And what I've found is that, well, there are actually a few ruptures worth unpacking. It's funny because when I mentioned the big one to my partner, his response was, "Mm, not sure which one you're referring to because I can think of a couple that might qualify. And I was just like, ouch, babe. But it made me laugh because it was true. I've been busy. And look, he wasn't around for the big one. That friendship started in high school and ended when I was around 24, and we hadn't met at that stage. So he's heard about this friend and the friendship, but he couldn't really tell you the story. So that got me thinking, okay, the friendships he's thinking of were significant, and they're from a time when I was a bit older, more fully formed compared to the time of the big one, which was really around adolescence and took me through to early adulthood entering the workforce, living away from my parents, that kind of life stage. These more recent ones occurred mid-career with committed relationships and kids in the picture, a lot closer to where I am now. And so maybe one of these is a good place to start, because the more I think about it, the more I find common themes across each of my friendings. And that makes sense, because they have a common denominator. And that's me. What I'm interested in when examining these friendship ruptures is getting to know myself a bit better and hopefully do better by the friends I have now. Because I have some wonderful friendships now and I wouldn't blame them listening to this and maybe getting a bit nervous because I might come across as a bit volatile. To be honest, being judged for my past conduct is a concern and a fear that's really present for me in undertaking this project. I value my friendships so much And as I came to feel the loss of the big one, I had resolved to really, really treat my friendships as these precious things. And if someone ever mentioned that they were considering letting go of a friend, I'd always counsel, no, don't do it. Friendships are treasures and you shouldn't discard them without good reason. Because I'd always be thinking of the big one and the loss that I felt as a result. And the funny thing is, this friending that I'll talk about today we had the exact same conversation when she was prepared to discard people in her life and I said that very thing to her. No, don't, you'll regret it. Friendships are precious, you've got to fight for it. But then what did I do? I ended up discarding the friendship with her. So I think I'd started to learn a lesson, but I forgot it when things got challenging. And so now she's part of the learning, the vast subject matter that is the story of my friendings. So, where to start the story about this particular friendship? I don't want to use any real names here, and I've decided to use the names of iconic women instead, because regardless of how things ended, these friends have all been incredibly valuable and inspirational to me. I want to honour them. This is one way I can do that, which also makes me smile. So, I'm going to call this friend Madonna. Yes, I am a child of the 80s. Madonna is one amazing woman. She has 
boundless energy that she injects into everything she does. A bit of a dynamo, absolutely hilarious. And she opened up my eyes to so many things. And a commonality between all the friendships that I continue to grieve is really knowing that, wow, I'm so grateful to these women for opening up my world and my mind. While the friendships might have ended, I wish I could have made it abundantly clear to them just how grateful I am for everything they brought into my life and for being my teachers for a time. So I met Madonna when we were both working in this industry that's kind of glamorous. It's incredibly sexist, very competitive, obscenely shallow, except everyone's convinced they're actually making art. But it was great when we were in our 20s. Hard work, but fun, and it paid well. We worked together as colleagues, but in quite different roles. Over time, we got to know each other a bit, and she ended up being a bit cooler than I'd originally clocked, and she surprised me with her gutsiness. Looking back, I think she was mid-reinvention, and she had been perfecting this new version of herself for some time. Just as our friendship was budding, she left her job to work in a similar capacity in an entirely different sector that wasn't quite as sexist and where the work was a bit more meaningful. I was also at a point where I wanted out. I didn't feel valued. I'd been put in a box in terms of the kind of work I could do being a woman and was seeing all these arrogant, entitled boy men getting all the spoils while I felt like I was getting the crumbs. I felt really stuck and my thinking was, oh, I can only do this one thing that I can't do anywhere else. There's literally no other options for me. That's when Madonna introduced me to the concept of transferable skills. And she basically got me to believe that I had some kick-ass skills that I could take to a range of roles in a range of workplaces for the kinds of purposes that were important to me. And it blew my mind. Then she got me a contract role at her new workplace, which was just the perfect soft landing for me. So I left my job and that industry and went into this role and realized, holy shit, I can actually do this. And that was it. My life changed. And it was because she believed in me and she got me to believe in myself enough to take that leap. And I will forever be grateful to her for opening up my options. It's partly because she projected this amazing confidence and no-nonsense attitude she saw through crap and people's bullshit and knew that a lot of the time job roles aren't as highbrow as they're made out to be and can be done by anyone with basic smarts and the right attitude. At that point in my life, I was very much subservient to hierarchy. I believed in meritocracy and that all people in senior positions deserved to be there and were the best person for the job. Meanwhile, I was lucky to be where I was and should be eternally grateful and not push my luck, blah, blah, blah. Anyway. Our friendship was cemented, and later, when she had doubts about gearing up her own side hustle into a fully-fledged business, I urged her to embrace her talent and give it a shot. And that's how it was with us for the most part. Of course, there were some bumps, but nothing major until one fallout a few years later, where I sought her professional services for a personal project, and it was a bit tricky to navigate mixing friendship with money. I can also look back and see that she had a baby at that time and was kind of juggling that whole thing of working and mothering and being tired and pulled in a million different directions. I didn't have a kid at that point in my life, so I had no idea. And so I sort of put a hard word on her about her reliability. And when I heard back from her next, she was resigning from the project. 
And I thought, oh my God, who bails in the middle of a project like this? After that, we didn't speak or have any contact for maybe three months. And then my partner and I were moving into state and throwing a farewell get-together at ours, and I thought, fuck it, I'm going to invite her. And she came with her partner and her kid. We all had a good chat about what had been going on for them. There'd been a fair bit of stress that they'd been contending with, but were in a better place. Now that I think of it, her partner was the one who did all the sharing. Nothing was said about our implosion. After that, though, the friendship was back on. We were in constant contact and she'd visit fairly regularly, both alone and with her family. It was a time when we were each busy doing up our places, exploring new work horizons and really celebrating each other's successes. When I had a baby, she offered me some good insight and guidance as I was adjusting to being a mother, which helped because she and I were both older when we had our kids. I was almost 41 and found it to be quite a lonely experience because All the other mums in my cohort were about a decade younger than me and just springing back to form. And I was like, oh, what did the doctors call it? A geriatric pregnancy. Fuck you very much, medical establishment. Plus, I ended up having an unplanned C-section as well. So a bit to come to terms with there. I was struggling. Up until then, I'd lived my life doing what I wanted, when I wanted, was independent, oriented towards the work that I did, and got a lot of meaning from, and a lot of self-worth from as well. And then I was living interstate in a rural town, no neighbours over the fence, no friendships, no professional networks, jumping from one contract role to another, and in this new role as a mum, and really struggling because I was used to being pretty good at most things I attempted, and goddamn, I wasn't pretty good at this. I mean, sure, I had my moments, but geez, there were some pretty serious mum fails. I felt like I was letting myself down, letting my child down, and letting my partner down, repeating a lot of mistakes and perpetuating old family patterns that I had assumed would end with me from the get-go. So I was a bit of a mess. And Madonna, she is a take-no-prisoners kind of person, gung-ho about everything. But she could also be a bit of a bull in a china shop, and she'd come up against a bit of resistance from people, which could lead to a bit of drama. Drama with clients, business partners, neighbours, friends, her parents, her sibling, and it seemed to be escalating. It got to a point where she'd call with one drama after another, and some of it was bizarre. One time she was accused of shoplifting, and then instead of walking away from the misunderstanding and that drama, she ended up pressing charges, and I was thinking, oh my goodness, what is going on with you? I was struggling to kind of hold it all together, while struggling to hold myself together as well. And look, we all need to vent from time to time, but Madonna's ranting about how shitty everyone was, was becoming a habit, just ringing me and unloading and any attempt I'd make to help make sense of it or offer a different perspective would be sort of swept aside. I was left feeling pretty worn out by it all. Which brings me to the rupture. It was around New Year's, and she came to visit with her family. They had spent New Year's with us before, and we've only got two bedrooms, so our kids slept in our bed, and the three of them slept in our kids' room. So this time I suggested that I find them a place to stay that's a short drive away. We live on a property in a rural area, so nothing's close. Everything is a drive. 
but there was a modest B&B I knew of about 10 minutes away, which I offered to book and pay for. And Madonna's response was, no, you don't have to do that. We'll just stay with you again. And I thought, come on, man, read between the lines. You know, I don't want that. Not that I said any of that. What I did say was, look, it's just not practical having four adults and two kids in a two-bedroom cottage. It was okay when the kids were small, but they're bigger now and no one's going to be comfortable in that setup. We went back and forth, but I managed to hold my ground and insisted on booking, saying it's only 10 minutes away. It's also a farm setting with animals, you know, so your kid will love it. So Madonna ended up accepting, begrudgingly, but it wasn't available for the whole length of their stay, and they would have to stay at ours for their last two nights. And I figured, well, it's better than five nights here at least. As I said, I was not in a super great headspace. I was really stressed out. I had a lot of postnatal anxiety, which took a long time to recover from. I knew I was on edge, and I sensed that she was on edge as well, and that we both needed some buffer space. I hoped this would be enough, but it wasn't. Things started to unravel almost immediately. They arrived, and it was so good to see them. It had been ages. But when they rocked up the following morning after their first night at the B&B, she walks in complaining, saying, Oh my God, there's this rooster that crows and crows. He's so loud. He started up at four o'clock in the morning. We couldn't sleep. And I'm thinking, well, yeah, that's kind of what happens on farms. And the last time you stayed at ours, we had roosters and that's what happened. But yeah, it also stung a bit given I'd arranged it all. And then she was just very hyper, which was fairly typical of Madge. She was always moving, kind of distracted, agitated. For instance, we'd all grab our coffees and go for a walk through the garden, which is a fairly large country garden, but she'd absentmindedly put her coffee cup down somewhere instead of carrying it back in. And then I'd have to get my partner to go and hunt for it later. Another time I set up lunch for her child to eat on the outside table. She was there too, and when her kid was done eating, they wandered off and the plate just stayed on the outside table. And I thought, no, just leave it there. She'll do it in her own time or get her child to just relax. But she didn't. It just sat there all day in the sun, half-eaten, covered with flies, and they would have passed it and ignored it many times. Eventually, I did have to go and get it to use for dinner. And I just, you know, it just irked me. It's, it's not how I operate when I'm in somebody's home. When they first arrived, I said, make yourselves comfortable. But look, I just have one request. When you're here please keep the screen doors closed because it's summer. There's flies. They drive me nuts. There's food around. Please, just if you can close the screen doors behind you, that would be great. Could she close the screen door? No, not once. Her husband did it. Her six-year-old did it. She could not do it. I don't know. Maybe she just had so much whirring around in her mind that she didn't hear me or she didn't retain it. And this resentment just started building. Then I handed our Christmas presents to them all and also gave my child a present, which I'd held on to to unwrap once they arrived. It was an inflatable pool, something the kids could enjoy together and unveil together. Not a great idea in hindsight. It was kind of big and boxy, so I asked Madonna's kid to help unwrap it. 
She was there, but different conversations were happening at the time, so I think she missed what I'd said to the kids. A couple of days later, once it had been set up and the kids had had a splash, her child brought her over to me and said, Mum thinks that pool is a present for me. I'm telling her that it's not and she doesn't believe me. And the three of us are standing there staring at each other and it is so goddamn awkward. And I said, oh, well, I I had bought it for you kids to use while you're here. And then Madonna was like, oh, oh, that's fine. That's, That's fine. And I am mortified. And once a kid took off, I said to her, look, honestly, I'm so sorry for the confusion. Take it. It's totally fine. We don't need it. And she's like, no, no, we don't really have any room for it anyway in our backyard. It's fine. It's fine. And so that took the tension meter up another notch. Like, could this visit get any worse? Okay, so then New Year's Eve arrived. It was intended to be a nice and relaxed evening. Some of my partner's workmates had come around. They're sitting outside enjoying their craft beers. One of my local friends drops in for a quick drink and a hello. I'm sorting snacks, salad, dessert, my partner's on barbecue duty, and instead of joining our other guests and engaging with them, they set up a cocktail production line in my kitchen, which nobody asked for. It wasn't supposed to be a big night. People had to drive. I'd arranged it so that they had to drive back to their accommodation, ideally. Earlier in the day, Madonna had said, oh, can we crash here tonight so we can drink? And again, I thought, man, read between the lines. If that was okay, I would not have booked and paid for you to literally leave and stay somewhere else. But I said, oh, look, I'm pretty tired. No one's planning on having a big night. So why don't we just see how we go? And this is one of the key learnings right here. I had set a boundary. Here was my opportunity to reiterate that boundary. And instead, I caved by being vague and leaving an opening. I should have said, you know, love, that's not going to work for us. There's nowhere for you to stay. I need my child to sleep in his own bed. It's going to be too disruptive. And it's not meant to be a big night. Everyone has to drive. But no, I didn't do that. And that's on me for not making my needs and feelings understood. So they ended up making cocktails galore. And they bring them out to the guys and the guys are like, oh, uh, we're good, thanks. We've got our beers and, you know, we've got this many beers we can drink to be right to drive home. So thanks, but no thanks. And I'm thinking, just sit down. What kind of gathering do you think you're at? What precisely did you expect coming here? If you wanted a big night with everyone getting messy on cocktails and drugs, why didn't you just stay in the big smoke? Why are you here trying to throw a rave in my home? And do you know me at all? Do you know that I've never been into partying? And do you know where your kid's at right now while you're fucking around trying to get everyone revved up? Can you read the room at all? And also, can you get the fuck out of my kitchen? Okay, I'm painting a picture for you here. I know. This is what was going through my head at the time. It's been close to five years, and I can safely say the sting's gone out of it, for the most part. But I think that some of my concerns were valid, my objections were valid, and we were just not connecting. We were missing each other. At every turn, we were just missing each other. So to finish, I basically lost my shit. 
and said, look, my kid's not sleeping. He hasn't had a proper dinner and now he's hungry. It's way past his bedtime. I need to sort some food out quickly and get him to sleep. I'm trying to sort his food out right now. So stop turning the goddamn lights off every time I step away. I just need to be able to tend to my child. Meanwhile, I'm thinking, do you maybe want to sort out your kid who's been sitting alone in the dark watching TV for hours and it's way past their bedtime as well? So I lose my shit and I'm getting all teary and then they're like, oh, what do you need? What do you need? What can we do? To which I said, oh, to be honest, I just wish everyone would leave. Oh, do you want us to leave? Yeah, yeah, I think I do. I would really like that. And then it was just a mad scramble where they're gathering up all their things and gathering up the kid, shoving everything into the car while I'm standing at the door apologising and also thanking them profusely. They drove off and it was like I could finally exhale. It sounds just awful, but I could breathe. I got my kid to sleep, joined the boys for a quick drink, then took myself to bed. The next morning I texted her early but didn't hear back until mid-afternoon. They came over and I apologised for being stressed and said that I was glad that they got back to their place safely. And her response was, yeah, it was pretty scary driving under the influence on dark country roads with a kid in the back. In other words, I had endangered their lives. And, well, did I endanger their lives? Uh, yeah. I asked them to leave and they had no choice but to drive on unfamiliar roads at night while under the influence. And, you know... They were probably operating on minimal sleep as it was, thanks to the rooster. So yeah, okay, I'll take responsibility for that. Sure, I would have liked some willingness from Madonna to share in some of the responsibility, and there was none. And why would this be a surprise? She always called herself unapologetic, and she was exactly that in her approach to life. In my experience, she was unable to say sorry for anything, ever in our interactions, in the things she shared about angst with her family, with friends, with work, I never heard her accepting even some responsibility or expressing remorse or regret, expressing an apology in any form. I knew this about her. And like anyone, like any friend, like any friendship, there's amazing, beautiful stuff and then there's some shit stuff and you take the good with the bad. So this is not an indictment. I still think she's amazing. And I loved that she was unapologetic until she was unapologetic to me, right? So they said they had decided to head home early and weren't going to need to stay with us those last two nights. And sure, you're pissed off, you feel put out, you feel like your friend has basically kicked you out of their house. In what universe is it even an option to go and pretend like everything's fine and stay with them for two nights when they have made it abundantly clear that they don't want you in their goddamn house. And whether they left for home or whether they left and just went and stayed somewhere else and decided to enjoy the rest of their time off together without this crusty bitch, I do not blame them. Anyway, so we're at their car saying our goodbyes and she referred to something I'd shared with her a while back that was quite personal and had caused me a lot of hurt. She just kind of dropped it off the cuff, and it landed there like a steaming turd between us. And I remember thinking, wow, you must be really angry with me to bring that up like this. 
And my next thought was, oh, you really believe this is all on me and it's never going to be an option for you to take any responsibility for anything that happens between us. And then I knew we were done. I said I'd call her later. I didn't. That was it. That was the last time we had any contact. And I have no idea how she is now. We don't have any friends in common. We don't live in the same state. I cut her off on the socials not long after the rupture. Looking back, it was fraught from the start. Their visit, or at least her behaviour, made their visit feel like an intrusion. Except I allowed the intrusion to happen, right? I opened my door to it and then complained about the lack of courtesy when Madonna was just being Madonna, when even someone on their best behaviour would have struggled to satisfy me, when I'm forcing myself into a situation I do not want. In terms of how I feel about her now and what I wish for her, I hope she has found a way to channel all that amazing energy a bit more intentionally, rather than have it just bouncing off walls and people and situations in a way that could feel a bit manic and chaotic. I've known a few people who are always on the go. They never stop just jumping from one thing to the next. I know on some level that they're terrified of stopping because of what comes up and what catches up, and it can be so confronting to examine that stuff. I know it's hard to take responsibility for our part in things. It takes a kind of mental fortitude which we aren't always able to muster. So I feel a lot of empathy for her. She was going through something for sure, though I didn't really understand it. And I know that she had these very old school parents with a bit of trauma. From what Madonna shared, I understood they were quite negative in the way they communicated and in their outlook. I can relate to that. And I can understand that growing up in that kind of environment can impact a child in all sorts of ways and lead to all sorts of coping mechanisms as an adult. It can be hard to find your own way of being, especially if you're acting in defiant opposition to what you experienced in childhood. I think that's part of why Madonna was so forward-focused and proactive, except it could sometimes feel just as blinkered and closed off and limited as the very thing she was rejecting. That's not to say that way of being didn't work for her. It did. She was successful professionally, she was in a loving relationship and raising a beautiful child. She is incredibly dynamic and confident, like she refuses to be anything less. She claims that space for herself in a way that women often don't feel like we're entitled to, and as I said earlier, that is really something that she opened up for me. In reflecting back on what went down and what I could have done differently, really my downfall was that I wasn't honest with her from the start. My thought process was, oh, I'm not up for this. Oh my God, what can I do? I can't say no. Oh, okay, it'll be okay as long as I can get some space. I'll find another place. And if they stay somewhere else, it'll be fine. There'll be enough of a buffer. We'll have bedtimes to ourselves and the mornings to tend to our children and get ourselves set up before we all come together. That should be right. That should be enough. Except it wasn't. So if I could have been unapologetic and had enough self-belief that I can say this thing, I can express this need, and it doesn't mean I'm a shitty friend, I can do it in a way that makes her feel like she's still important to me, that I still value her, but that I'm just not in a good space. If I could have done that, if I could have just paused long enough and just played around with some words, I don't even think I did that. I literally went, I don't want this, I can't say that I don't want this, I have to solve this. I didn't even sit with it long enough to investigate. Is that right? Is it true that I can't say this? Is it true that if I say this, she's 
going to take it as rejection. I knew she was sensitive to rejection and on some level I think I was afraid that I'd lose her if I said no. But I lost her anyway. If I'd just given it enough space, I could have come up with the right words. Something like, you know, it's so great when you guys visit us. I love it. And I'm always just so honoured that you choose to spend your holiday time with us. And you make this long-ass drive with a kid in the car. And you manage that by leaving in the middle of the night and driving in the dark so that your kids are asleep for most of the trip. You put yourselves through that so you can be with us to see the new year in. That blows my mind. I cannot imagine doing that right now, now that I've got this kid. And you've done that when your kid was my kid's age. Like, just wow. But, you know, I am a bit of a mess right now. I'm struggling. And I am not fun to live with. Just ask my man. Ask my kid. They'll tell you. I just don't think I'm going to cope having people in the house. I have a huge need for space right now. I have a need to be able to really control my environment right now. So can I please take a rain check? And can we plan to do it next year? I just don't think this is the year. Maybe that's all I had to say. And instead, I just tried to swallow my discomfort and then ended up vomiting it all up, all over her and all over our friendship. So I wish Madonna well. There's still so much I admire about her and, oh, I miss her. My God. You know, nobody calls each other anymore. It's all on text. Even if you want to call someone, you text first. Hey, can you talk? Is now a good time? She was a friend who would just call and I could just call and we'd have great chats. We'd be on the phone for ages just chatting and laughing. I could go to her with anything that was bothering me, if work was giving me the shits or any kind of self-doubt stuff, and she would just say, what the fuck? You know what's what? Just own it. She was all about that. She was a fierce advocate at a time when I really needed that. I still need that, you know. Everybody does. And she was that. So, yeah, I miss her. And I wish I could have handled myself better. Not sure what else to really say about my friending with Madonna. I hope it wasn't too much of a jumble to follow as my first sharing. But I think that kind of covers the crux of it for me. No doubt her telling of it would be different and I'd love to hear it. But if I could have Madonna know anything, it's this. I love you. All of you. And I'm sorry that I wasn't able to be a more honest friend and trust you with the truth of my situation at that time. Because I think you would have understood. You might have fought it a bit, but of course you would have understood. Thinking back, I suspect you had struggled in a similar way. Not that you ever spoke about it. You never stopped being important to me, and I loved spending time with you. It wasn't personal. I could barely stand having my partner in the house. So, no, it was never you. All right, dear listener, I will leave it there. I hope this meets your expectations in terms of unpacking a friending. I think it'll develop and I'll fine-tune it as I go, but let this be our starting point. 
I'm looking forward to having some guests on and I've shared this idea with a few women now and amazingly there has been a bit of interest in this topic like yes there is a gap here and there's so much to say and a few are even open to coming on and sharing the story of a friending of their own. Gosh it'll be wonderful to not just hear myself bang on and also to have some different perspectives on this pod. I'm so curious about how it's been for others and I'm excited and blown away that people are considering trusting their stories to this particular endeavour and are willing to open up and be vulnerable. I'm sure there will be some tears, but I reckon there'll be a few laughs as well, like any good friendship. I'll leave it there. Thanks so much for listening and for being a friend of this show. Catch you next time. Friendings has been created by me, Sabina Shah, on Paramount Country. Writing, production and sound engineering also by yours truly. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate and review or tell your friends about it. It really helps, so thank you for that. Feel free to get in touch via Instagram at friendings.show. Whoa.